Well, good morning to you. You're looking awful handsome out there today. I was going to say we've got a lot of people missing, and the rapture must have happened, but the wrong people are missing. That'll come later to you. It was good to hear from John and Gail. They're mad at me, so they're leaving right now, but that's all right. They'll be back. I love they're, they're with connections at Wycliffe because we work out of Orlando, as most of you know, in January, February, and we live at, rent an apartment at Wycliffe. And we can never get reservations in January. We have them secured for February. We can't get them for January until they know there's a place available. And that is contingent upon how many people come with connections. So now I've got an inner circle here I can work through. John, save us an apartment. We need that in January. So there you go. Let's go right to our uh, scripture today. Uh, Malachi chapter 3, if you have your Bibles. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there is one in the chair in front of you. And it's on page 802, 802. I love the story that... Uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was the pastor for about 30 years in London at Westminster Chapel, and he tells the story about a farmer uh, who uh, came into the farmhouse one day, and his wife looked at him, and she could just tell he was overflowing with joy, and so she says, uh, what, in the, what in the world happened? And he says, well, Bessie, our favorite cow, gave birth to two calves, a little brown one and, and, and another one. And he said, you know, as soon as it happened, I just had this impulse in my heart that I was going to dedicate one of those calves to, to the Lord. So we'll sell one and keep the, the uh, proceeds, and then we'll sell the other one and give those proceeds to the Lord. And uh, his wife said, well, that's, that's wonderful. I support that totally. She says, which one did you dedicate to the Lord? And he says, well, I really haven't decided that, but as soon as I do, he says, I'll let, let you know. Well, a few months went by, and the farmer came back into the house, but this time it wasn't a smile on his face. He was just looking depressed and sad, and his wife, of course, picked up on it right away. And uh, she says, well, what in the world's wrong? What, what, what happened? He says, well, honey, he says, I've got really bad news to give you. He says, the Lord's calf just died. <laughs> I read that story and I said to myself, why is it that the Lord's calf always dies? You know, it's always his calf. Well, a little bit of humor there, but it, it kind of touches on a nerve as well. This morning, I want to talk to you about God giving and generosity. You say, well, why in the world do you pick that out? You don't preach very often. Here you go. I said, well, I made the one bad mistake again. I've done it a few times, as you know, and I've suffered because of it. And that is when I asked Pastor Rob. Now, I was leaning toward Veterans Day. And being a veteran myself, I was looking forward to giving a message. But I asked him, I said, is there any area you'd like me to preach on? He says, how about giving? I thought, why do they do that to me? They always <laughs> give me something like that. But, 
But uh, here we go, so we'll give it our best shot. Let's uh, read Malachi chapter 3, and I'm going to uh, pick it up at verse, uh, verse 8. Will man rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed and you'll be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. God giving and generosity. I want us to look first at what I simply call the prerequisite for giving. If you know the context of uh, Malachi at all, you know that after Malachi uh, stopped speaking and went to be with the Lord, we entered that time that historians call the 400 silent years. And you didn't hear a voice from heaven for 400 years until that announcement of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ by the angel Gabriel. Contextually, at this time, Nehemiah has already built the walls around Jerusalem. Ezra gave that great message from the word of God, Nehemiah 8. People's hearts were turned to the Lord. They were totally sold out to him. Then Nehemiah left Jerusalem and he went back to Babylon. It says for a certain time. We don't know how long. But then he came back to Jerusalem after that time. And when he came back, there was a totally different scene before us. And uh, the scene was not one of obedience and blessing of God. It was disobedience and there was judgment upon the land. Now you can read Nehemiah 13 about the sins that were there. And there were at least four different categories. But the one that seems to be emphasized here was their sin of failure to give the Lord his tithe. So even back before verse 8 and verse 6, he says, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you children of Jacob, you're not consumed. God is still long-suffering. He's patient. He's loving to his people. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes. You haven't kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord. That's the prerequisite right there. Turn to me. And he says, and I will turn back to you. When I speak on giving, to me it is, it is not an isolated subject, but there's a cause and effect. If I can put it ever so bluntly, if you don't know the Lord, and if you're not walking with God, and if you don't find joy in your heart, every time an opportunity of giving comes by, please don't give. God doesn't need your money. Don't give grudgingly. Give with a joyful heart. And you can only do that if you are totally sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. Will a man rob God? I mean, what an awful 
thing to even think. To think that you or I would go and connive and manipulate and be a thief of God's things. And he says, but you're robbing me. How have we robbed you, God? By not paying our tithes and contributions. Let's keep it simple and let's keep it moving along for time's sake this morning. The tithe comes from a Hebrew word that simply means one-tenth. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. You don't have to be super intelligent. If you make $100, you give $10 tithe. If you make $1,000, $100 your tithe. So whatever amount of money there is, the giving, the paying of a tithe would be 10% of that. Now I say let's keep it simple because there are also two other tithes in the Old Testament. This tithe has to do with taking care of the priest of God and the people that lead in the worship and perform the animal sacrifices and give out the word of God. But I want us to understand that God doesn't own 10%. He owns 100%. And until we come to that knowledge, we'll never really be able to give with all of our heart the way God wants us to give. Giving a tithe is not that 10% is God's and 90% is mine. I almost entitled this message, Please Stop Tithing. That'd go over big, wouldn't it? Especially with the pastor. But there are some people that tithe out of a legalistic principle that they must give a tithe, and they've been doing it maybe for years. And they've never even thought of the fact that 100% belongs to God, not 10%. So until I come to that place where I say, Lord, whenever, wherever, whatever, I am totally yours. Everything I have, everything entrusted to me is not mine. I am a steward of God. I will never realize my potential in this matter of God giving and generosity. Another matter about this uh, tithing to consider has to do with honoring the principles in the scriptures. You know it very well, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for, for teaching, uh, for rebuke, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be mature, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. The primary reason for the tithe in the Old Testament was to provide for the priest. So it is today in many cases in providing for our pastors and our missionaries. When you heard the testimony of John and Gail from Wycliffe, I believe they said 42 years. You sent them out. You have been faithful. How, how in the world have they been able to receive funds from Osterville Baptist Church? Because of generous people like you who give generously to support your missionaries. How do you think Pastor Rob is so well equipped every Sunday morning that he breaks the word of God to us? It, I think especially those of us who have been in ministry understand the hard work it is to prepare and be prepared with a good biblical message. You study your heart out, you work. You come out with notes, trust me this week, like this. And then you have to bring it on home down to this. 
How does Rob do that? Because he doesn't have to go out and work 40 hours a week to make a living for to feed his family, and he is paid by the free will offerings and tithes that God's people give to the church. That's how John and Gail were supported as well. While the New Testament does not give an absolute command to tithe, I'm going to repeat that. I don't know of any verse in the New Testament that says a Christian has to give a tithe. And let me, let me even go further than that and say if anyone says you do have to give a tithe, they don't understand the difference between law and grace in the Old and the New Testament. So nowhere is it commanded. You say, well, that lets me off the hook. Yeah, I guess it does. I guess it does. But while the New Testament does not give an absolute command to tithe, listen to Jesus' words. I found this interesting in my study this week. Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Now, what's he saying there? What he's saying there is they, they paid their tithes. But in paying their tithes in outward thing, and in other portions sometimes to be seen of men, it was external rather than an internal heart of yieldingness to God, they neglected some of the weightier things like law, like justice, mercy, and faithfulness. But notice Jesus says, these you ought to have done, that is what? Justice, mercy, faithfulness, without neglecting the others. So you did well that you gave the tithe, but you shouldn't neglect the others. He's not saying it's either or, he's saying it's both and. No, we can also take it a step further, and if you're thinking this morning, I know you are, then the person says, well, weren't they still under the Old Testament law? And the answer is yes, they were. So when Jesus taught this, he was still under the Old Testament economy, which was not put away until it was nailed to the cross of Calvary. Then a few, after a short transition, we enter the dispensation of grace. Let me give you another passage that might help us. It's 1 Corinthians 9, 13 and 14. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? He's going back referring them to the Old Testament. He does this often in this passage of scripture. He compares what God did for Israel and then he says how much more God's done for us. What God, Israel did for God, how much more we should do for the Lord. Do you not those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? Those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel, now New Testament, should get their living by the gospel. In other words, it seems that he's reminding the church that the Old Testament economy, there was a system in which the priest lived and served in the temple and offered up the sacrifice and prayed and ministered the word of God and did the ministry of the priesthood in the Old Testament that those in the Old Testament economy, there was a system set up where those who worked in the temple, the Levites, lived off the tithes brought in by the temple. And by the way, they then were supposed to give a tithe of the income that they received. So their salary was paid by the tithes 
of the people and their whole work was in the temple. And notice he says in verse 14, so also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. So he's drawing a parallel, a transition from old to new. I think the least Paul is saying is that those who spend their lives in the service of the word of God should be supported by the rest of the Christians. That's what you do with your pastors in the ministry here. So that's the least he is saying. But since he draws attention to the way it was done in the Old Testament, then it's, it's as the model, it seems that tithing might have been, underlining the word might, possibly might have been the early Christians' guidelines. Remember, most of them were Jews to begin with in Jerusalem. And so they are under the Old Testament economy. And as they moved into the New Testament, then maybe, and it seems that it was, that's the way the support was given for the workers of the gospel today. In other words, when we tithe today, we honor a principle of God that sustained the ministry in the Old Testament and probably the New Testament ministry as well. Now let's go to the pathway to God, to, to, to giving. And notice first the proportion. He says in verse 10 of Malachi chapter 3, he says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. The Hebrew scholars Kyle and Dale, each and any Bible teacher, knows those names, says that the emphasis lies upon the word full ESV or all the tithes, King James, the whole of the tithe and not a mere portion of it. You say, well, why do you even mention that? Well, because God said it. Carol Dalich seemed to think this was very important. Have you ever had people say, well, okay, yeah, I'm going to think about tithing, great attitude as they approach, and then they say, but do I have to give it off my gross income? You know, and I almost want to say, you know, with that kind of attitude, you won't give anything. I mean, that's almost what I want to say, but I'm not bold enough to say it. Well, I could. <laughs> Just might not be the right thing to say. But what you get here is he's talking about the, the whole, the best way I could say it in, in application today is when I look at your 1040 form, Show me, show me your 1040 form, and I'll tell you the condition of your spiritual heart. And I want to go down to that section that says the gross income. Because I think that's what he's talking about here. When he says, bring it based on the whole. It's the whole tithe based on that. I can't prove it. It's just my thought about it. Look at it this way. Abraham gave tithes 500 years before the law was ever instituted. 500 years before it was instituted. So Abraham commenced it. A few years later, Jacob continued it. 500 years approximately after Abraham, Moses commanded it. We saw in Luke 23, Jesus commended it. Therefore, I'm going to be careful that I'm not going to cancel it. Does that make sense? I'm now going to tread very softly there. When I, when I look at the 4,000-year history, it seems the tithe has been used of God to support the work of the ministry for 2,000 years with Israel, 1,500 years after with Moses instituted it in the law, and even 2,000 years 
of church history. Now, let's go from tithing quickly to generous giving. In the New Testament teaching under grace, the standard of the Old Testament was always raised, never lowered. What do I mean by that? The law said, don't commit adultery. The law said, thou shalt not murder. Jesus takes that in the New Testament on the Sermon of the Mount. He says, the law said, don't murder. But I say to you, if you're angry at a brother, you've committed murder in your heart. We're all murderers. The law said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you look on another woman with lust, he's committed. We're, men, we're all adulterers. Now there is a difference, another sermon, between talking about the spirit of something that's done in the mind, but that which is actually accomplished in mind, body, and soul. But that's another sermon. The point is, New Testament always elevates the Old Testament principle, it seems to me. Therefore, the principle that employs a Christian might be, and I have encouraged this for over 50 years, that once you become a Christian, is start by giving God one-tenth of your gross income. Not law, not legalistic, not commanded. And trust God by faith to help me move on to maturity, to generous giving, which goes far beyond that. Make the step of faith. It's what some of you need to do. You need to pray about it and see this, if you see this as a general guideline, that says, well, you'll never start doing it until you do it by faith. What about the place? Where does the giving take place? Now, if you look at verse 10 again, he says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in, in my house. Charles Feinberg, in his commentary on the Minor Prophets, writes, the storehouse was the chambers in the temple where the tithes were brought. They didn't take 10% of their income and give it to their favorite Levite or to their uh, favorite Jerusalem radio station or the Israeli school of the prophets. It came into the temple, 10%. Some of you are thinking, well, we don't have a temple today and we don't have a storehouse today. Check that one off. You're right. So we don't have a temple made with stones and mortar with the holiest of holies and a sanctuary. But then I read in 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are the temple of God? And John MacArthur, I think, is right when he says every believer is a temple of God. Consequently, the church gathering itself made up of these little living temples of God. The church itself is a composite temple of God made up, no, not a brick and mortar, but what? First Peter 2, made up of living stones. And God's building that building ever since the day of Pentecost. And the foundation was laid by the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself, the cornerstone. And every time there's a black stone from Nairobi and a white stone from Estonia and a yellow stone, from Hong Kong and, 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 and on it goes. He keeps adding those living stones to this building. It's been going up for 2,000 years. One day that last living stone will make up the completion of the temple of God of the New Testament and Christ will say, come up hither. And so shall we be with the Lord at the rapture of the church. What a day it's going to be. What a day. 1 Corinthians 
On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, interesting word, as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. You know, you just see so many things there. Systematic, first day of the week, that would be Sunday. Now for us, it might be you get paid once a month, a month, okay, but the principle is there. Regular, systematic, not spasmodic, throwing a dollar here, a dollar there. Each of you, the richest and the poorest, as he may prosper, depending on what income you have. I mean, let's just talk about the time. It's a lot of harder for a, for a man trying to feed a family on $12,000 a year and, and he gives $1,200 than a man who makes $220,000 a year and gives $22,000. There's a whole lot of difference there. Some of you, may I, I, I say this ever so earnestly and sincerely, may not be able to tithe. Some would say you've got, no, I'm not going to go there. As God has prospered you, some of you don't need to give so much, but we need to help you. Some of you are in need. Maybe not so many here, but there's a lot of poor people, truly poor. But even here, God says, let each one of you do something. The phrase, put something aside and stored up, by the way, is the exact same word found in Malachi 3.10, where it's translated the storehouse, when the scholars took the Hebrew Old Testament and translated it into the uh, Greek language called the Septuagint, they chose the very same word storehouse that is used in Malachi 3.10, translated that way. So it's seen by application only, not interpretation that the storehouse today is the local church. Application. Make the distinction. And that way God's work gets done. The electric bills are paid. We have a little heat today, that's good. Pastors are getting paid. Missionaries are getting paid. Poor needs are, are getting met. That's the way God meets, meets the needs. Does that mean we shouldn't give to other organizations, seminaries, missionaries, Bible schools, but only give through the church? Not at all. You give as the Holy Spirit directs in your heart. Give to where you've been blessed. But all I'm saying here, my thinking is we gotta take, I'm a, I'm a member here. I'm connected with you. I'm connected with all the missionaries. We're connected as a body. I want to do my part in doing the work of the local church. And if God allows me to give to other places, praise the Lord. That's why it's important to belong to a biblical church. You want to be sure finances are kept correctly. Integrity. Boy, do you have it here. We have it. Honesty, integrity, godly elders. Another sermon, another time. What's the purpose? Verse 10, that there may be food in my house. And so for 2,000 years, that's the principle by which local churches have carried out the work of the Lord. And wherever God's people turn to the Lord and say, Lord, here I am 100%. And then show their trust for the Lord by obeying him, there's been the blessing of God. I can tell you this thing right now. I say it 
without any reservation whatsoever. If every person that names Osterville Baptist Church as his local church, where they're a part of, and everyone, all they gave was a tithe, we wouldn't know what to do with all the money that would be left over. I guarantee you that's true. You say, how do you know it? I don't know it. Then how can you guarantee it? Because I'm dumb. (laughs) But I think it's true, and I've seen it historically. Food overflowing bountifully in the house. Now, if we're going to move from tithing to New Testament grace giving, then something else is required. We have to move from being covetous, which Paul calls idolatry in Colossians 3, 5, to being generous. Wanting things is dangerous to my soul. Indeed, Hebrews 13, 5 says, keep your life free from love of money. You know, I just talked to some of these said, you know, money is the root of all evil. No, it's not. The love of money is the root of all evil. Thank God for money. We can use it for righteousness sake. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Are you contented with what you have? For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Every time you give a tithe, Old Testament always uses pay a tithe, by the way. You must deal with the desire for what you might have bought for yourself. Isn't that true? When you put that check in the offering today, you made a choice. You chose, rather than to buy something for yourself, you chose to give that money to the work of Oster, the work of the Lord through Osterville Baptist Church. And that weekly crisis is utterly important to maintain. Jesus says, you know where your heart is by your treasure is. Giving is one of God's great anecdotes to covetousness that this, you apply this to your life. I think you'll move beyond the tithe to grace giving because you'll be more conscious of making choices. The provision through giving, let's bring it to a close. I pick it up in verse 10 again. Bring the full tithe then to the storehouse that there may be food and thereby put me to the test if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing. Now I gotta be careful here, another sermon. And I really wanna go there sometime. If you give in order to get a blessing, don't bother giving. If you give in order that you think God's not gonna give, you know, I'm gonna claim the word of faith. God wants me to be prosperous. God never wants me to be sick. That's health and wealth gospel that's out of the pit of hell. A lot of you listening to a lot of that junk on TV and you're listening to it on on, on radio and there's a lot of what makes it so dangerous is there's a kernel of truth there. But if you really examine health and wealth gospel, prosperity gospel, Some of the most godly people I've ever known, some of the most consecrated people I have ever known are the poorest people in the world that put me to shame. Some of the most godly, persevering people of faith I've ever known have been sick much of their life, paralyzed, not in health, Some of these go around and say, well, if you just had faith, you wouldn't be sick. That's out of the pit of hell. The hand that gives gathers. It's a beautiful picture. God is no man's debtor. 
Listen to Deuteronomy. The Lord will open you his good treasury, the heavens to give the rain to your land in its season, to bless all the work of your hands. You shall lend to many nations. You won't borrow. Malachi, God says, put me to the test. That's all. Put me, put me to the test. I challenge you, put God to the test. That's his invitation. It's not mine. Most of us know the name of R.G. Letourneau. There's a university in Texas named after him, Letourneau Christian University. He invented earth-irving machines and is known for his growth and grace of becoming a reverse tither. What's that mean? His goal, once he became a Christian, God got a hold of his heart and, and his life. His goal was to move from giving 10% to giving 90%. And he achieved that. He gave 90% and lived on 10%. But the money he gave away came in faster than he could give more away. Letourneau said in his book, I shovel it out and God shovels it back, but God has a bigger shovel. <laughs> Many of you could testify to that. You don't, you don't give because he's got a bigger shovel. But when you give, somehow things just come together. Explain it. I can't explain it. But I've seen it in our lives. And it just makes you want to keep on giving more away, keep on giving it away. Secondly, the heart that repents rejoices. I will rebuke the doubt devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. The land had evidently been suffering from drought, and the reason for that is because Israel disobeyed God and suffered the consequences. Again, God says, put me to the test. Put me to the test, and I will send abundant rains, fruit of the ground and the vine. There won't be enough room to receive all I have for you. Every injurious thing like the locust will be withheld. God and the nations would find delight. She'd be a good testimony to the nations. Thought just came to me about the widow's mites. You know the story. Two mites, she gave both. So some of you who are sitting there and you're feeling pretty comfortable say, well, preach on, Harry. I stopped tithing long ago, then I went to 15, 20%, 25. I'm really generous. Let me ask you this. How much money do you have left over? Because remember when the rich people came in and Jesus saw how they gave, he observed how they gave and what they gave. He said they what? They gave much. But this little woman came in, the widow. All she had to her name were two pennies. She gave both of them, could have kept one. She gave both of them. And what did Jesus say? She's given more than all of you put together. What does that tell me? It tells me God judges by giving, not by how much I give, but how much I have left over after I give. Who has given so much that you have zero in your bank account? I'm not saying if you're wealthy, feel guilty. No, feel blessed if you've done it the right way. If you've got a beautiful home, you've got a, another home up in, down in Florida, you've got another home up in a little cottage on the lake in Maine in a boat, well, God bless you. That's your business, not mine business. If you drive two BMWs, good, enjoy it. That's your business. That's none of my business. I've got enough problems of my own. I'm screwed up enough. But I'm just saying... Take your heart to the Lord and see what's left over. The heart that repents rejoices. Let me close the message. John Wesley, we love him, don't we? 
One of the great evangelists born in 1703. In 1731, he began to limit his expenses so that he would have more money to give to the poor. In the first year, his income was 30 pounds, and he found he could live on 28. So he gave away two. In the second year, his income doubled, but he held his expenses even. So he had 32 pounds to give away. A comfortable year's income at that time, by the way. In the third year, his income jumped to 90 pounds. He gave away 62 pounds. In his long life, Wesley's income advanced to as high as 1,400 pounds in a year, but he rarely let his expenses rise above 30 pounds. He said that he seldom had more than 100 pounds in his possession at a time. This so baffled the English tax commissioners that they investigated him in 1776, insisting that for a man of his income, he surely must have a whole bunch of silver dishes that he was not paying excise tax on. He wrote them, quote, I have two silver spoons at London and two at Bristol. This is all the plate I have at present. I shall not buy any more while so many around me just want bread. When he died in 1791 at the age of 87, the only money mentioned in his will were the coins to be found in his pockets and his dresser. That's the way I want to go. Just get, it, get rid of the baggage. Wesley put a control on his spending on himself and he went beyond the tithe for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. He teaches us that wise stewardship deals with a covetous heart, wasteful spending and generous giving. God rewards faithfulness and sacrificial giving. Paul says, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. I'm not here to harass you. I'm not even here to make you feel guilty. I'm not here to pressure you. I'm here just to, as a steward of the mysteries of God to dispense of the word with the intent that I think God had in mind when he entrusted it to us. I ask you to pray about where you are in your Christian life. I ask you to pray about, number one, are you even a Christian? Have you been born again? If you're not born again, don't even give a nickel, please. God doesn't need it. Word of Life was just starting out. Man came into Jack Wurtzen at Word of Life and he gave him a check for 10000 That would have been like a million dollars today. And Jack thanked him and the man said, well, just hoping it helps me a bit and getting up into heaven one step at a time. Wurtzen realized the man was lost. The man didn't want to accept Christ. Wurtzen gave him back the $10,000. He says, I can't take it. He says, if you think by giving that money you're going to get to heaven, he said, it's not true. He says, I can't accept that. So if you're not a Christian, trust Christ. If you are a Christian, all I ask you to do, A, yield yourself 100% to Christ, totally. To help you a little bit, I always carry these little cards with me, as you know, God's will in my life, whatever, whenever, wherever, God's is the master of my life. He owns everything. Be glad to give you one if you'd ask me for it after the service. And then once you do that, then start seeking the Lord what he would have you to do. It's another sermon. But some of you are so doggone further, so far into debt, and your credit cards have become your God, and you are so deep in the hole, you don't even know how to get out. There's counselors in this church that'll help you. We're not here to harass you. We're here to help you. My time's up. Shall we pray?